Welcome to Fragmented, a software developer podcast where we talk about building good software and becoming better developers. My name's Don Felker. And I'm Kaushik Gopal. Welcome to the show. This episode of Fragmented is brought to you by AndroidJobs.io. On Android Jobs, you can post a job posting for free and also sign up to get weekly notification emails of new job postings. These job postings are worldwide, so any company around the world can post for free. However, I wanted to let you know about a couple of feature upgrades that we recently made to the site. Number one, you can now pay for a upgraded highlighted posts. And this will highlight your job post among all the other Android jobs that are out there. Number two, you can pay for a featured job posting that will highlight it as well as pin it to the top of the job board. Now, again, the free job postings are still available, so you can still post a job for free. But if you would like to kind of give it a little bit more flair, you can upgrade it as you'd like. Now, additionally, Every job posting on Android Jobs, including the free one, is now going to be a 90-day job posting. So please check it out when you have a chance. Sign up to get notified of new job postings. And thanks for listening and checking out the site. Again, that's androidjobs.io. So Kaushik, I heard that you had mentioned recently to me offhand that you we're going to be getting a new phone. Is this correct? Are you, did you get a new iPhone? Were you going to Android or fill me in here? <laughs> so it's, it's a little complicated. I did attempt to go to a new phone. So I actually got like the Pixel 7 Pro. I was excited oh. by it. Um, there was a little mishap in the delivery, but I must say Google store is amazing by the way. Like, you know, cause mm-hmm. UPS lost my package, but you know, eventually they shipped a replacement, all that worked. And as you know, I recently traveled to India and I came back. I almost moved to the Pixel 7. I was excited, you know, pictures amazing, all that. But I realized that, interestingly enough, Pixel 7 Pros do not support dual eSIMs. Oh, what is that for people who don't know? Yeah, so, I mean, obviously, as with this, as is the case with a lot of these trends, you know, on the Apple iPhone side, the new iPhones, I actually don't have the latest iPhone, by the way, but the newest iPhones now come, like you don't have a SIM card tray. It's all eSIMs. eSIMs, I mean, folks can Google this, but it's like this technology where you don't actually have to put a physical card in your phones anymore. You can pretty much just use like a specific code. You send your IMEI code and, you know, a bunch of the other things Mm -hmm. and your telecom provider can basically just send you an eSIM that you can download onto your phone and it basically replaces your SIM card, right? And the reason I wanted to have more than one uh, eSIM is because, like I said, when I traveled to India, I wanted to use the same phone and have two SIMs active. And most phones can do this, by the way. So like, you know, all the Android phones, the most like, you know, recent Android phones and the iPhones, they all allow you to have two SIM cards. The problem with the Pixel 7, though, is in order to have two active lines, one of them has to be a physical SIM and the other one has to be, and the other one is like an eSIM. The iPhones, however, allow you to have both of them as eSIMs. And for me, the problem is I have zero interest in going to like, you know, my uh, telecom company and applying for a SIM because when I change phones, then what that means is I'll have to get like a new SIM card. It's a pain. Yeah, it's a big pain. And when I was in India, I already had my US number, you know, as an eSIM. 
So if I were to change phones, you know, that would be complicated because then I would have to get a physical SIM there and then transfer the eSIM. It was a mess. So at that point, I, long story short, I basically abandoned that and I just stuck with the existing iPhone that I have. <laughs> oh, that's frustrating. Did you just send it back or what did you do? I did. I did. I, I, I mean, again, the Google store, like, you know, I, they've been amazing. I, initially, I had passed the 30-day window because I was traveling for 30 days, right? So but I sent them, you know, a polite email saying, hey, FYI. It is brand new. I've literally like touched this phone just now, you know, after all the shipping mishap. And I found out it doesn't support dual eSIMs and I kind of need eSIM, dual eSIM. Otherwise, I can't use the phone, right? Because I, I have no interest in going. And, you know, initially, like the first layer of support, they said like, oh, sorry, you're past the 30-day 30 30 window. And I said, hey, can you like ask your manager if, you know, as a special case, this can be handled given that I do kind of want dual eSIMs and the phone doesn't support it. And I'm like, I'm fine. If they had said no, I was like, okay, that's fine. Like, you know, it's a really good phone. I could find, I can either use it as my secondary phone or sell it to someone. But they came back and said, hey, you know what? We considered your case and it feels legit. So here's your return number. You can send it back. So. Oh, that's good though. I was very impressed by the Google store. I've, I've never had a problem with the, with the Google store. In fact, every time I've bought a Android phone, psh, man, except for like test devices um, that I'll, I get like secondhand. If I buy a brand new phone, it's usually a Pixel or whatever, and all the way back to the Nexus days, I always bought it from the Google store and I never had a problem. It was such a smooth process, which I'll give Google that. They had that nailed perfectly. Oh, 100%. And I, you know, I, I, I think maybe I bought like a doorbell or something for like, you know, someone and, you know, it's, the process is great. I, yeah. Google store, like, yeah, double thumbs up. No, so that's just a bummer. It didn't work out. Yeah, no, I mean, I was excited to try it, but, you know, it's okay. Maybe another time once, you know, the next Pixel supports dual, dual eSIM, I might, you know, think about switching again. But, Don, what we want to talk about today is a little different. Uh, you know, it's coming close to the holidays, you know, and a lot of people are thinking about, like, trying side projects when they have some downtime. And it, inter interestingly, you and I had a chat that I thought would be, like, interesting to our listeners around being able to ship things in time. So tell, yeah, like help set the context for this because I thought this was really interesting and something I feel all developers go through at some point. Yeah, for sure. Um, so background for anyone who's new listening, uh, I've been developing software for over 20 years now. Dang. And you would think that I have this down to a science and for some things maybe I do, uh, but there's still a lot of times where I might be working at a client or a company or whatever, and I might need to make a, a change to code. And in that, when I'm changing something, I might have to dig deep into the code half the day to figure out what it's even doing. And I might make 10, 20, 30 changes. You know, I might change 30 lines of code in an entire day. And then sometimes I'll look back and like, what am I doing? Like, am I even like a real programmer anymore? Like I'm, I'm barely modifying this. And this is what I'm shipping as my productive day. And like, I get down on myself about it. And it's been to the point a few times where I, I look back and wonder, I'm like, the, the real question is, am I a programmer? Like, can I even really build things anymore? And I've built a lot of things and it's like, well, it's been a while since I've kind of built something from the ground up myself. And what I wanted to do was just kind of give myself a little test and say, Hey, how can I verify that I can still ship something in a, in a timely manner. And recently what I decided to do a few weeks ago was just sit down and create a product within 24 hours from a concept 
to shipping it live. And it was a web product, so it was a web app. But what it allowed me to do, and we can get into the details of it, is it allowed me to actually realize like, oh, Don, you still know how to build things. You still know how to ship. You still know how to prioritize. And it gave me, at the end of it, it gave me a lot of confidence because I realized I can still do all these things. It just depends upon the context in which I'm working determines the outcome of what I'm doing. So if it's something that's super old legacy code, doesn't have any tests hard to decipher, yeah, it's it's like walking through really thick mud that's really hard to get through and it's hard to be productive. But if I'm building something brand new with a technology that I know, like the back of my hand, I can be a sprinter. I can just really fly and build. And, and that helps me build the confidence and helps me build the muscle that, hey, I still have this and I can still do what I think I thought I could do. And so it helps clear that, like that fear of, can I do it? The uncertainty of, am I still a real programmer? And, you know, helps kind of curb some of the doubt of what I'm doing on a day-to-day basis. And I feel like that's something as someone with 20 years of 20 plus years of experience still fighting, if I'm dealing with it, I imagine someone else is probably still dealing with it. So as I was saying, that's kind of what I recently did. And it was almost very cathartic in a sense to kind of just clear that out and purge a lot of these things. And it's given me a lot of confidence. I'm still riding that wave of constant confidence. Still, I'm doing different things now. And just like, I'm realizing I can build faster. And it's just, it's a muscle that I realized had atrophied. That's, so I had some quick follow-up questions on that. Like, cause that's fascinating. There's two aspects of this. There's, and let's go back to like, you know, why you started to feel that way. Cause obviously you program almost daily, right? Almost every single day. So that feeling that, oh, I may not have this muscle sharpened or I might not be able to build things anymore, right? I completely understand that feeling because, you know, more often than not, you're, you know, on your day-to-day job, you're like looking at this single like feature for, you know, weeks together and you're like only building a portion of this entire system. So you might think, hey, I've forgotten how to do this. But there's two dimensions. What was it that concerned you more? Was it the fact that you couldn't, uh, that you felt like, hey, I've forgotten how to build an app from start to finish, like, you know, just build an entire product? Or was it the time dimension of it, which is like, hey, do I, will I be able to do this? Like, you know, do, does it take me like two months now to build something from start to finish as against, you know, in the previous days where I just whip up something and come like, you know, get something done in a week or 24 hours, like you're saying, or was it a combination of both? Like, where did that sort of feeling of uneasiness come from? It was a combination of both, but I think that we would pro- I would probably weight it more heavily towards the time dimension mm. simply for the fact that a lot of times when I'm working on various apps for companies is that these are, I mean, most of the time nowadays, they're pre-existing apps and they're bringing me in because they need something done internally. They need help with some architecture whatever. And I'm inside, like you said, I'm inside the guts of the app, inside of the plumbing, and I'm way down in there. And I am making fundamental changes underneath the hood that the product teams don't really realize are happening. But at the end of the day, it slowly bubbles up to make an impact in the organization to allow them to ship faster or whatever. But the side effect of that is these are all things that are just not like visible. They're not tangible that I can see, that I can interact with, that I can even tell makes a difference. So then it starts creeping in as doubt and uncertainty of like, is what I'm doing, does it even really matter? Is this mm-hmm. good? And then it starts getting to the point of like, okay, well, yeah, I can I can tinker with this one class and I can make it better 
but can I actually assemble a bunch of classes together to actually build something viable end to end? Or am I now just kind of this one trick pony that knows how to work with databases only inside of a mobile application or maybe or a web application, whatever. And so it kind of compounded it and and in that aspect because of how much time I was spending in there. And I thought I'm like, if, if I can only make 40 lines of code change um, now, what makes me think I can build an app when 10 years ago I'm building some of the like the most popular apps that were in the in the in Google Play with me and another person? Like and we're just flying. Like we're just throwing out multiple screens a day, rewriting the entire application in a couple of weeks. And so that's when it got me to the point of like, wow, do I even have the chops anymore to build something end to end? You know, can I, do I know how, yes, I know how authentication works. Yes, I know how database, I know how all this stuff works, but can I still glue it together till it works properly? And um, so that was kind of like the big uncertainty that I had to get me to that point. Does that answer the question? It does. It does pretty well. It's funny because, you know, no matter how experienced you are, there's I can still see so many signs of imposter syndrome, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which is something totally. that we all deal with in different points of our life. And I, it's funny because when you say it, I'm like, dude, of course you can. Like, what are you talking about? Right. But mm -hmm. I also completely understand and empathize with that when you're in that moment, you know, um, you feel the same. Pushing back a little, it's funny though that. You said that the project that you built in 24 hours was a web project, mm -hmm. but you're saying that sort of, you know, that, that like rush that you got from having achieved it translates across technology. So like you go back to doing Android development feeling like I got this, right? So it almost is just like a, well, psychological thing. It isn't like a true, like you're not truly seeing if I can test that I can still like ship things. Because obviously I think there's a part of your brain that understands, yes, I do, but it's that feeling where it's like, you know, do I still have what it takes? Do I have that acumen to build things quickly, right? Yeah, that is, is definitely. And what it really kind of, uh, this whole process, and I'm looking back at a tweet that I posted on December 10th that kind of encapsulated this, the way that I felt in words. And it was, did I finally realize, I've been comparing myself to different types of software engineers in the field. I mean, there are different types. There are people who build compilers. There are people who write, like to write libraries. There are people who like to write tools. There are people that like to, you know, work, do pure UI animation in code. Like that's their love. And then there's, there's other types of people, which is kind of where I bucket myself that are, they're builders. Like I realize that I love to build things. I have been this way since I was younger. I have, uh, I was in woodshop class. I was a mechanic that build engines. I, would build cabinets and cabinet making class. I I built trailers for when I used to race motorcycles because I need a trailer. I just built the trailer. Like I am just a builder. And software is just a tool that allows me to to build. And that's when I kind of realized that I'm like, wait, I'm comparing myself to all these people that do these amazing things and build these libraries and have all these kind of crazy things and you know, smart people at all these different tech companies. But what I actually like to do is use software to build products. And that's kind of where I realized I'm like, oh. This is kind of like the aha moment where I kind of just like stepped through the clouds finally and said, now I kind of know after a long time where I fit, even though I've been doing it, I've been doing this for 10, 15 years. I never kind of put a label on it. It was just like, oh, I'm a developer. I'm a programmer. Yeah, I should be able to do that. But no, now it's like, okay, I like, I get a ton of enjoyment from building things. And um, so that's kind of like the big aha moment that I had. 
No, that I mean that makes a lot of sense. And by the way, like a lot of early stage companies and startups love that kind of engineer, that bucket that you're putting yourself into, right? Because that's exa- at that stage of the company, that's all you need to do, right? You can't perfect an animation or something. You don't have the time to, honestly. That's why I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I'm so excited about this because it's this, this is the whole realization that I had is that I have always been drawn to startups. And that was, you know, at Groupon, I was the second person on, you know, the Android team at my fitness pal was the second person on the Android team. Like I was very early at all the, all these places and that's what we had to do. We had to move fast. And there was like, yeah, animations are cool. Makes it look better. Sometimes we don't have time for it. And I find you know, hey, this moment I'm working on the UI, the next minute I'm working on the networking component, the next minute I'm working on saving data. And like, I'm just hopping between all these different things, just getting it done. And that's where I thrive. But if you, and if I even think about this now and I kind of get like anxiety, if you were to tell me like, all right, Don, you're going to go work at, you know, one of these big tech companies and you're going to work on the advertising, advertising component on the settings page, that's what you're responsible for. Like, oh my God, like, no, <laughs> just kill me, dude. Like, do not, you can't pay me enough money to do that. Like I will lose my mind. And some people like, that's what they like to do because it's very siloed. It's the, the requirements are very defined. And as long as they stay within these guardrails, they're going to get paid and we need people like that. I'm just not one of them. Right, right. No, and that's the, that's the point I was going to follow up with, which is there is a place for all of these people. That's the good news, right? Like the good news is you don't have to just be, you know, like the bucket that you're talking about, the builder bucket. You could also be one of these people who perfect UIs and animations and there's a place for people like that, you know? It, the earliest time for me, I felt the bucket that I was in was, you know, and I think in my resume in the early days, this is what I would put, right? Like where I'm most comfortable is if you throw me in a code base, which has sort of organically grown and you need to bring in structure, right? So like the refactoring bucket was my thing where I was like, I will like, you know, start making it easier for people to like deal with this code base. Like if you you are in a bind where you have this thing that works from a product perspective, but the internal teams are struggling because they haven't, being able to like you know they're not using the right architecture or something so then i can refactor my way or i can like sort of lay a strategy to refactor the app and i love doing that right so for me it's like take the same thing but then you know start writing the tests and so make sure you have like your harness and then start improving the code and then you know eventually people are like yeah i like using this i want to start using this in all the other parts of the app that was where i put my bucket right but there's also the other thing, which is like that bucket can change. Like, you know, at the, you know, every five years that, because there are times where I felt the same thing too, but I'm like, just, I need to ship things, right? Yeah. I just want to go. I, I want to be able to like make this change and then see like, you know, users use it on the field. And, you know, th- th- there's like a little of both of those things. And there are times where I'm like, I want to like deep dive into like this thing. I want to like tweak this algorithm so that I can really you know, improve how performant or, you know, this feature is. Um, yeah, there's different times for different things, right? And, or maybe sometimes you're just, you love that aspect of that bucket that you're in and that's the bucket you choose to sort of keep using. What would you say that, what would you say is the the bucket where you would put yourself right now? It's a good question. And I know it's kind of like off the, <laughs> I didn't even plan to ask you that, but I was just, it kind of popped up. No, that's a good question. It's funny because I'm, I'm at a, point where I don't necessarily code as much as I would like to 
you know, I, I'm at like, you know, and this is also like a regular thing and probably a topic for another episode where, you know, I find myself doing like maybe 10% coding at this point and 90% of it is like talking to other technical folks and laying the strategy. So I'm actually not even in that bucket. Like I, if you ask me personally, which is what is the bucket that I would enjoy, I would say it's still that refactoring bucket, right? Which is like, I want to go in and that's probably what I do now, but I just don't actually write the code, but I help others sort of like do that, right? But I will say I'm starting to get the itch for the builder bucket. <laughs> I swear to God, like I, you know, I, it, it's funny because when you, it, what you said initially when we started this episode resonated really well, which is I'm like, I've, I'm, I'm just so deep in the weeds now. Like, you know, I, I want to build something from start to finish. I, I, so I'm, I'm starting to feel the itch for that bucket. And I'm like, hey, maybe I should just go back to being an IC, build for some time, get that comfort and then go back to doing whatever I usually do. The other interesting thing is also if you are interviewing, right? And actually, maybe I, I should get your sort of uh, two cents on this. That ability to ship things from start to finish, you know, that is a specific bucket, right? Like, and if you're calling that the builder bucket, I will tell you that is extremely valuable when you're interviewing, like regardless of which bucket you find yourself. Because in interviews, by, you know, there are time constraints where you're like, hey, you're given this this thing or you're asked to build like you know this take-home app from start to finish you know and i know companies are changing the way they interview to make it more realistic but i will tell you that is an important tool in your belt to have like you know mm -hmm. start if you are interviewing as an android engineer try like you know just building like from start to finish like hit that new project on android studio and get something that you can show on your phone like you know what it takes get familiar with that because I personally think, like, regardless of what the right way to interview is, that is a tool you should have in your belt. It is. I, it's very useful. Yeah. What are your thoughts there? Uh, no, I completely agree. Uh, it's being able, because when you, I'm kind of thinking 8,000 thoughts at once, so I'm trying to gather them. <laughs> um, a, I completely agree because when you are in these environments where you have a certain number of hours to get something done, you have to be able to remove yourself from some analysis paralysis you're going to enter. And as engineers, we're always going to be like, oh, well, is this the right pattern or pattern that I'm using? And is, should I implement it this way to impress, you know, the, my technical interviewers or should I implement it this one way? And you, there's a lot of things you have to take into consideration it, given the context of the situation. Maybe you just have to implement a feature in a, in a given architecture it's set up already. Maybe you have to write something from scratch, but being able to, uh, being able to set that time for yourself and say, all right, I need to ship this, get it done as fast as possible, and then go back and refactor with the remaining time that you have can be a humongous benefit for like an interviewing process because you can just, you know, get the thing working. All right, I got the result they're looking for. Now let me kind of go clean this up. Maybe add some tests if I have some extra time to, to impress them that um, I can do this or whatever. Uh, but it's super useful uh, because then if for whatever reason it takes you the entire time to just get it working, well, then you can tell them why. Like, hey, I tried to do this and this didn't work. And then you can explain your thought process. And it's super valuable that they know, hey, it looks like this person actually met the deadline. They got the thing done that they wanted. It's not perfect, but we at least know that they can accomplish the task. Yeah, that's right. And it's funny because in my, a lot of the early companies that I interviewed in, that would be the thing. Like, you know, when they would give me take-home apps, I would also make sure to throw in some tests there. Also, like, you know, there's there's some of that, like, you, you know, marketing uh, skills that you have to pull in because at the time too, like testing was very unheard of, like on Android, right? So, yeah. you know, that's like, even if the tests were not like super thorough, like just throwing in one or two tests, they're saying like, hey, just FYI, I know how to do this, right? And I've like demonstrated this, that 
those sort of tactics are also like super important you know what are things that a lot of companies find hard today so like you know when you build like this uh, app from top to bottom try to like throw in something so because a lot of it is familiarity too right if you get familiar with the tools that's pretty much it there this isn't like as hard as like rocket science you know <laughs> exactly and i think that it you know to kind of rewind what you said before like the building something quickly the one of the reasons why and i'm kind of bringing this all the way back to the beginning one of the reasons why i decided to build something in 24 hours is i wanted to give myself a very strict very difficult deadline to hit mm. and in doing so uh it's almost it forces you to cut the gordian knot of requirements immediately because you can see like well now i can you know what if i want to tweak the ui to look like this i don't have time to do that like okay what if i want this thing to be perfect looking over here. I don't have time to do that. So for me, what I did is like, I said, Hey, I want to build a web app around an idea that I had in 24 hours. What can I do to do that? And you know, one thing I needed was like a logo. And I, I think everybody's guilty of this. When they start a new project, they spend like eight freaking hours looking up logos and domain names. I had to restrict myself. I said, you have 20 minutes. <laughs> to look up a logo. <laughs> and like, so what I did is I, I learned this from uh, another book I read, uh, this website called the noun project.com. And it's a bunch of SVGs and stuff like that. And you can pay like two 99 for like, you know, rights to one of these SVGs. And it's just like icons. And I just went there, typed in a couple of, you know, words, search words, and, uh, looked at a bunch of them and said, that one's good. Chose that ran with it. You know, like used a basic font, not going to worry about colors. It's black and white for now or blue and white, whatever. And I'm just going to choose two colors and I'm going to roll with it. And so it made me just implement decisions quickly. I love that day. I think that time, like the constraint that it pulls, like forces you to like think about the right things, right? Oh, it does. Uh, totally. Out of curiosity, what tech did you use, like, you know, for this web thing? Because just hearing you say, immediately see this is the problem. I'm like, oh, I've always wanted to build like a Svelte app from start to bottom. Maybe I should do that. But then I know that that ain't going to hit the 24 hour mark because I've never yeah. used that technology before, right? So, did you have similar inklings? And actually, yeah, out of curiosity, just for the listeners, because I'm sure some people are thinking, what tech did you use for that? Yeah, some people, I mean, you, you probably know, and other people are probably already saying it to the, uh, <laughs> to, the to their podcast player or their stereo or whatever. Um, I use Rails. And just because it's, to me, it's, your productivity of it cannot be beat. There, are, Yeah, there are some JavaScript ones like Next.js, but you get into these weird, like, <sighs> Like with JavaScript stuff, you get into these weird things like, oh, now you have an API, but then you also have the front end. Okay, now you have two apps. Like you have the, the front end app and you have the API app. That's two apps. I don't want two apps. I want to write this once. And so I use Rails uh, 6, was it 6 or 7, I think of 7, uh, the newer one. And uh, I used a template, Jumpstart Rails, which has a bunch of like uh, stuff already kind of set up for you. So I kind of cheated a little bit there, but it's already built. Um, and so I took that. I knew the things I wanted to cut out of it. I had some familiarity with it. And um, I just hosted it on um, on Hatchbox, which is basically a, think of it like a self-hosted um, Heroku, sort of. And uh, it's, I, I back it by a um, DigitalOcean uh, VPS. And I, I run all my side projects on that because it's super cheap and it's easy. And then uh, the, the great thing about it is like if you run on Heroku, you all, your file system is eph ephemeral. Is that how you say it? And what that means is it's you can't depend on it. it the files are just going to go away they just disappear like it's just they're not persisted to disk or whatever for a period of time 
Now with this app that I built, I needed to upload a file, process the file. The file might need to be there for five minutes, and I couldn't depend. I couldn't rely on on Heroku. So this one, I actually have my own VPS. I can store the file for five minutes and then clean it up. Um, so I shipped with that, and then uh, just background processing with with Redis and everything else. And um, overall, it was a pretty easy process. And the nice thing with with Rails seven is you have something called Hotwire, which I did an episode with Jay Ohms on Hotwire here on the sh- on the podcast. And basically that allows you, it does real-time uh, communication from front end to back end over WebSockets and replaces HTML divs in real time, just like you would with like a React app. And it's almost just as performant, which is really crazy. So I got the same benefits of like a single page app, but I'm running completely on Rails. And so that's why the reason why I chose that, because I was familiar with it. Now, don't get me wrong. Uh, I would love to learn how to write a a go app end to end but i knew if i did that i'd be learning go the entire time and like i that didn't accomplish my goal of being able to build confidence and squash the doubt and uncertainty that i can actually build something viable in 24 hours and then there's the kind of wrap this up is by getting all this done i don't know if you've ever had this happen i i feel like other people do this too but sometimes when you build something you'll just keep opening up that either the mobile app or the website and you're like wow i built that and you'll just kind of look at it, like you'll admire it a little bit. You're like, wow, that's kind of cool. Like I just, that wasn't there 24 hours ago and now it's here and people can use it and it's cool. Uh, there's just a really cool feeling about that. It's that builder instinct in you like surfacing again, right? Which is like, <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah. No, no, I love it. I love it. Another thing that came to mind is like, you know, because I'm thinking more about this time constraint because yeah. I know I need that. Like I can very easily get lost in like, you know, trying to figure like new like for all I know, I might like start figuring out like a terminal thing, you know, while I'm like oh trying to build God, this yeah, app. Uh, so I, I'm trying to think about more opportunities. There's a for folks who like don't know, and I'm not sure if you have tried any of these. Uh, there's this thing called Advent of Code. It it the idea is that I think before Christmas, I think it's 25 days. Like you know, a lot of people like you know, end of the year, you have a little more time. Uh, there's this person I forget. I, I should remember. I'll try to like uh, you know. We'll definitely add link uh, links in the show notes. But there's this person who designs these set of constraint challenges. So I think it's for 20 days or 25 days. I forget what it is. Maybe up until the, the new year, mm-hmm. you get these very specific challenges. So it's like you know self-contained, and you can use any technology that you're comfortable with, uh, and they're contained problems that you solve every day. And it and I think every year they come up with new sets of challenges. And it's nice because you can go back to previous ones and there's no pressure, right? Like, yeah, I know some people compete and they try to see who can come up with the solution the fastest and they, you know, post it up uh, and they have ladders and all that. But, you know, you can also just do it at your own pace, right? You know, like I'm finally free now. I have only one week. I can just like pick up the next. And I know there's a bunch of people doing it in Kotlin as well. So, yeah, I, I think that's another good opportunity for people to like you know try to flex that or or rather like build that muscle to just try and get something up and going yeah i the 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 time constraint thing is really important too i think i don't want to discount that at all there's a reason why i chose 24 hours because um about a year and a half ago i saw a friend of mine uh he did a live stream i don't have to find the link if i can find it and he went out and he created a basically a you know created a startup mvp within 11 hours live streamed it like he's like okay here's he's here's the idea i have and he goes he didn't have a domain he had nothing and he just says all right well let's see how far we can get in 10 or 11 hours it's what i got and we'll see how we go and he went and built this entire thing which would then 
Um, I think you could, it recorded like audio messages on Twilio and then you could embed them on your web page to a JavaScript snippet. And it's all done through like Rails. And I just, I, I mean, it's a long one and he's got breaks and he takes lunch and he'll eat his lunch or whatever, but like he gets it done. And that was so inspiring to me. And this guy doesn't have a background in software engineering. Like he's just been coding for a few years. And I thought to myself, I'm like, hold on, if this guy can do it and you know, he's, and he's self-proclaimed. He's like, look, I'm not a great engineer. He's like, I'll just hack stuff together. And he got it done. And, that, and that's what really kind of sparked it for me. I thought, I'm like, hold on, if this person can do it, then I can do it. And so I wanted to, I wanted that real tight deadline pressure because I didn't want to be able to say, hey, I'm going to build, spend a week doing this. A week is even too long for me. Like, okay, because then I can worry about what template I'm going to use to make it look nice and what color do I want to use? Like, no, I don't want to have to worry about any of those things. I want to go, 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 go. And that's kind of what he did. And he goes, you know, all right, this 12 hours sounds like bonkers to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's crazy. Cause well, and I learned so much from it. And one of the things I learned is like, he would build something and he would, he would play with like the alignment of something on the screen. And he's like, I can't get, he's like, I kind of want it over here more. And he would mess with it for a little bit. And he goes, ah, that's good enough. It doesn't matter if it's 10 more pixels or 12 more pixels to the left. Right now it's good enough. It works. Let's go ahead and focus on shipping this thing. Then if we know it works, we can come back and fix it. Mm. And a lot of people are listening like, oh my God, it's got to be perfect because of clients or whatever. Like, I understand that, but this is for a very specific purpose. And in doing that, I realized it was a lot of those type of situations. Like, hey, am I storing this correctly? Is this the right way to do things? And for mine, my project was actually, it's called exifr.com. And mm. all it is, is a exif data remover. That's all it is. You just upload an image and it scrubs all the exif data from it. That's it. it you know, removes all that. Yeah. And I thought to myself, like one of the issues I had is like, all right, I upload an image and all of the IDs were sequential. And so if you looked in the URL, it would say like slash photo slash 76. So you knew it was a 76th photo. So you would just change the URL to see the 75th photo. And if someone, if every five minutes, it scrubs the images, I'm like, so if it, was, if it was within five minutes, you could see someone else's image. And I thought to myself, I'm like, crap, like, how am I going to solve this problem? Like now I'm going to make people like log in or, or what? And then I realized I'm like, wait, I can solve this pretty easily. Like without even requiring any logins, like it could be, still be completely anonymous. And that's all done through. I just set a cookie locally on the machine that expires in five minutes. The cookie's name is randomly generated. It's a secure token, which is Rails thing where you can generate this weird secure token. And I just store that in a database. Here's the secure token name. And then I look for a cookie on the machine. If there's a cookie with that name, then you're the one that owns that image. And that secure token is unique. It'll never be reused again. And so good luck guessing that secure token because it's like a huge long hash. So if that cookie's there within that five minutes, you can view the image. If not, so if you even go to a different browser on your same machine, you won't be able to view it. So it's gotta be on the same browser, same session, everything. And I was like, oh, I've just solved this security problem kind of cleverly uh, with a very simple implementation. Yeah, yeah. And again, like I, I like the thinking, which is like, you know, it's secure enough that enough is the key piece, right? Like, yeah, is yeah. this like, you know, you would would you store your SSN credentials in this? Like, probably not. <laughs> yeah, but, no, yeah. It's just like an image though. Yeah. yeah. Then again, right? Like, you know, I try best of luck trying to guess. Cause the other thing is like, oh yeah, if you because my first question is like, oh, but what if I keep trying to guess something? You know, I could just like get a hold of anyone's if I just try to randomly generate. A, that's hard. <laughs> you know, you should try to do it. It's not very easy. But also B, like you said, if you add, you added the five minute constraint, which then at that point is like, you know, 
best of luck. That ain't happening, right? So yeah, you can't brute force five minutes. And then on top of that, then also what I did is to re-verify you don't try to brute force me. I installed Rack Attack, which Rack Attacks will then throttles and blocks API, you know, API call or just web calls. And I do that and I basically only allow, I'm not going to say the number, only allow a certain number of requests to hit the site per minute, which is like, you're not even going to, there's no chance in hell you're going to guess this at all. In that many attempts. Yeah, yeah, that that makes sense. It would be a rare stroke of lightning genius that you would guess a random thing within five minutes of whatever. So like you said, it's secure enough where it's most likely never going to be a problem, which is and funny when you've worked in enough startups where you've kind of seen some security that's very sketchy. Oh, <laughs> absolutely. Like, I mean, like, this what was it? What? Was it like Sony or someone like recently where they stored like username and passwords in plain text <laughs> in a database? Yeah, so many yeah, companies like, oh my gosh. It is scary because these are like big enough companies where you would think they have like an entire engineering team, but nope. <laughs> Some people take the, yeah, you know, the, the basics a little too basic, you know? <laughs> yeah. So this whole 24 hour thing is that just putting that time constraint on there and forcing yourself to ship something wherever, like if you start at seven o'clock on Friday night, which is kind of what I did. And I'm like, all right, seven o'clock on Saturday, which I had nothing planned for the next 24 hours. I'm just going to hack it. And I got eight hours of sleep that night. And, uh, I, I think I even ordered, my might've did like some, ordered some food in from, for delivery just so I didn't have to waste any time, but just shipping it doesn't matter if it's a web app or if it's a mobile app, just getting something out there that works. And then going through the whole publishing process too. Like, all right, do you have your developer account? Can you, you know, of course getting approved by Google is a whole other situation. So, but hey, if you say you shipped it into Google Play for an approval, I would count that as shipping within 24 hours, you know, because you can't control Google how fast they're going to review it. I really like this. I I feel like, you know, even I want to try this approach because that is also one of my biggest challenges, which is getting lost in like, you know, deep dive Pandora box holes of like, you know, (laughs) exploration. So, I, I want to try this. It's funny, but even the thought where I'm like, oh, wait, but 24 hours is a little too constrained. Maybe I should make it 48. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Cut it down. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that's it, you, the point, right? Yeah. Yeah. It forces you, like the whole Occam's Razor, you know what Occam's Razor is, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It forces you to just remove all these extraneous things that you think you need. Oh, I need authentication. Oh, I need to make sure I'm logging in with Google and Twitter authentication. No, 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 no. How can you remove as many things as possible to make this usable and make it good? Right, right. No, I've, I, you've inspired me, Don. I feel like, you know, if when I get some time off, I might try to do something similar. Like, you know, try to find the equivalent of my 24-hour project. I'm, I'm, I think you've given both There's me like and the even, listeners. Yeah. <laughs> like, for example, you could just go to like, you know, go to OpenAI, go to their API, figure out something you can use with OpenAI. Like, I, th- um, we spoke about Florian uh, recently in another podcast, and he made a, uh, he's known as Coding and Flow on YouTube. Mm-hmm. He made this thing with OpenAI where you would, I forget the URL, I'll have to ask him for it and put it in the show notes. You would plug in the, like a name or something of like a book that you liked, and then it would return you back books that were similar to that. So if you're like, oh, I like, I like this. Boom, it would return. Maybe you're into like, you know, fantasy novels with dragons and you would type that in or, or it was, you know, maybe like Kotlin books that are talking about concurrency and it would return you back the ones it would find based on, you know, AI stuff. And it was just integrated with open AI. Oh, that sounds pretty cool. And that's the other thing. You could have a 24 hour project for anything. It does like, you know, I think that's the point, yes. right? Like it doesn't have to be like a web app that does this or like, you know, a mobile app. It could be anything. I'm thinking like, hey, 
I've Maybe wanted script. to, yeah, exactly. I've wanted to mess around with this script and I'm like, okay, I'm going to give myself 24 hours to get this done, right? Or I've been wanting to tweak my keyboard in some ways. I'm like, okay, I'm going to give myself 24 hours to, you know, like write like something with the firmware and that's it. Like, you know, I feel that I I can already like feel excited about that because I'm like, look, you get 24 hours, do your best. I think that will force me to take some decisions that I otherwise usually I'm uncomfortable with and at least I think that's better like even if I come up with anything it's better than this you know where I'm like oh I start on this but then I have I add it to my to-do list and I never get back to it in another six months and then it just keeps piling up I like this do 24 hours give it your all and then that's it you know yeah, the thing is, you got to ship it so I mean it's you got to ship it if it's like say it's a script and you it has to be installed maybe you maybe part of the process is like I've got to learn how to get this thing into homebrew so people can install it easily uh, I've got to ship it to GitHub with an install script. There's got to be something so I can just go on. Here's the thing, how I kind of, the litmus test that I had, I want to be able to go on Twitter and tell people in one or two sentences what it is and provide them a link and then they can use it. I should not have to tell them anything else. Everything should be evident from that point. I like this. I really like this. I, actually, you know what I'm thinking? Because, you know, I, I work on my blog theme a lot, like, you yeah. know, because that's my, and I've been thinking about some features I want to add, and maybe that's my thing. I was like, I give myself 12 hours to build this feature, and that's it, you know? And that, I've, yeah, you've inspired me, Don. Okay. <laughs> I am sold on this approach, and I will report back after I try this and let you know how it goes. Yeah, I think it's the perfect thing when you have a vacation and you got an extra day or so off to the side that's uh, the benefits. To me, I'm still reaping right now, which I think we, we talked about we didn't really cover, is that this was a few weeks ago uh, that I did this, and I am still... Uh, reeling from it. I mean, I'm now building a uh, like a marketing site for this other like SaaS thing I'm, I've been working on, and that's all been through a static site generator. I've been integrating all this different stuff, and like I've got like this cr- cool, really cool looking marketing site. You know, it's just a website, um, but it's all static site generators, and it's like everything works. It's super fast, like when it loads on the web, like it's amazing. It's getting like you know mid 90 score on uh, was it Lighthouse and stuff like that right out of the box, like, but it's I spent all day uh, yesterday working on it. I'm probably 90% done. And then I just got to do a few more things today and hopefully I'll, I'll wrap it up. Oh, wow. So you're finding even the 24-hour constraint that you did is seeping into the other ways, into your regular work too. Like you didn't necessarily put a constraint this time, but you found that you're already starting to like, you know, act with a sense of urgency with most projects. Yeah. And that's really the key here. That's, I think you just nailed the entire topic right there is to act with the sense of urgency. I've had, that's kind of been the problem that I've had for the longest time. I would have come up with a, a product idea and I would just take too long to build it and too long to ship it. And then what would happen is a competitor would come out and just decimate me. And I'd think if I just launched two or three months before, I would have been ahead of the curve and done a lot better or whatever. And, or sometimes competitors would come out of the gate and I'm like, oh, it's too late now. And then I would just give up. And so it's like approaching everything with like this sense of urgency, go, 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 go. And that's kind of goes back to the whole startup mentality. That's what you're doing. I mean, that's what you've been doing over at Instacart for the longest time. It's just like you're just executing at a high, high level. Yeah. And I mean, there it's interesting because the stakes are pretty high, right? You're like, well, you can do this or you will not have a job <laughs> and not get paid. So, you know, there's no time constraint there. <laughs> or you won't do it. <laughs> Exactly. There's like existential constraints. So this sort of like, you know, is a more comfortable way to <laughs> emulate that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. It helps you kind of build confidence in, in other ways. And 
if you're if you want to use it to learn a new technology then just set the bar really low like you said like if you have a script maybe you want to write a script uh in go okay cool you don't have to worry about the ui anymore cool just write the script what does it need to do does it go talk to open ai and give you some results back make it happen yeah yeah this this is good i am going to actually try this and i'll i'll, I'll let you know what happens cool. after i try this um but if folks want to find out a list of all the other amazing things that you're working on what is a good place to do that, Don? Uh, the best place to reach me is going to be on Twitter, and that's at Don Felker, or you can always go to my website at donfelker.com. What about you, Kaushik? If people want to see what's going on with the likes of you and all the exciting stuff over there in, the, in your world. Kaushik Gopal on Twitter is still like the place to reach me, but also my website is kau.sh, and that's usually where I'm trying to put more of my content these days. Lots of good blog, blog articles, by the way, folks. Check them out. Oh, that's kind of you. Thank you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you all for listening. Don, thank you for the inspiration uh, that you've given me today. And I will catch you in the next episode and let you know what happens. Cool. See you. Once again, this episode is brought to you by AndroidJobs.io. Post a free job posting. Sign up to get notified of those job postings. And you can also upgrade and make your job posting highlighted or pinned to the top or anything like that. And remember, all job postings are now 90 days long. So check it out, androidjobs.io. Thanks for listening. That's it for the show, folks. Fragmented is hosted by Don Felker and me, Kaushik Gopal. We edit and produce all the episodes here on Fragmented. You can find more Fragmented episodes at fragmentedpodcast.com. Thanks for listening, and we will catch you in the next episode.